I love the Columbus Toy Show. Every year, CTS Promotions hosts two unforgettable toy shows in Columbus, Ohio, one in the spring and one in the fall. And this year's spring event not only marked the 20th anniversary of CTS Promotions, but began the toy show season for many enthusiasts and vendors in the Ohio area. Of all the toy shows I've attended, the Columbus Show holds a very special place in my heart. I went to my first one in the fall of 2017, and it was also the first time I had ever traveled a considerable distance for a toy show. But it was so worth it. I've likened the trip out to Ohio as a ritualistic shedding of my skin, of losing the rhythms and stresses of work and of everyday life, and taking that relaxing drive out west. Riding along the Pennsylvania Turnpike and through the mountains and plains that lead toward my first destination in St. Clairsville, Ohio. Stopping off at a family-owned restaurant named Melman's Cafeteria that was established in the 1960s and has changed very little over the decades. Finishing the rest of the ride to Columbus the next morning, after one more stop at Melman's for an early lunch. For collectors, the Columbus Toy Show is an experience to which very few toy shows can even come close. The event is held on a Sunday morning, with vendors setting up during Saturday afternoon. I've been fortunate to attend setup every time I travel out, and I never take for granted the opportunity to get to know vendors and other collectors as the show comes together. I've had some amazing finds at Columbus. I've picked up modern Star Wars hard copies and first shots, two Power of the Force 2 creature mock-up sets, and some of the rarer production items from the past 20 years. And on the vintage side, I've scored items like blue snaggletooth figures and tons of carded figures, including a 12A Darth Vader and a Power of the Force R2-D2 with a pop-up lightsaber, graded at an 85. And I've added more than 100 vintage Luke Jedi lightsabers to my collection in the process as well. And while the hunt for collectibles is what drew many of us to Columbus, the friendships and the chance to shop at a unique show is why we return year after year. There is a heart to the show. It is found in those who run it, those behind the dealer tables, and those who attend it with their family and friends. In many ways, even as it's grown over the years, it still has the charm of a neighborhood toy show and the people there have been some of the friendliest and most connective that I've met along my collecting journey. And the show has certainly grown. It now boasts more than 440 tables across 52,000 square feet of clear space, making it the perfect venue. And for the spring show, the promoters featured voice actors from the animated series of our childhoods, like Larry Kenny, who brought Lion-O to life in Thundercats. And any wonderful Ohio toy show wouldn't be complete without appearances by some of the creatives that helped to shape the Kenner Star Wars action figure line in the 1970s and 1980s. Jim Swearingen, the principal conceptual designer, signed autographs and talked to fans about his time at Kenner. And Kim Simmons, the packaging art photographer, sold prints of his iconic work that adorned the card backs and boxes for the figures, playsets, and vehicles. Due to a prior commitment, I was unable to attend the Spring Columbus Toy Show this year. But I wanted to know what the experience was like. After three whirlwind years in which the quarantine sparked a resurgence in interest for Star Wars and collectibles, I was curious to hear more about the current state of toy shows and collecting. 
The past few months have been inconsistent when it comes to values, attendance, and overall interest. And I'm still trying to get a grasp on what is really happening within our hobby. And toy shows can be a great indicator. This is a series of conversations with those who traveled to Columbus, Ohio. This is a chance to hear about one of the more notable toy shows in the country, from attendees and dealers. This is part one of a look at the Spring Columbus Toy Show. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. So what was the Columbus Toy Show really like? That was the question that rolled through my mind last weekend. When it comes to the trajectory of the hobby, this year has been the strangest one that I can remember, and I've struggled in getting a solid perspective of where interest in collecting stands. The pandemic brought about a surge in nearly all collectibles. People were stuck at home during the quarantine, had extra money to spend, and dived deeper into finishing their runs, bulking up their display cases and filling out their remaining shelf space. Shows like The Mandalorian and rewatches of the film trilogies sparked a collecting frenzy for Star Wars fans. Collectors raced to finish their loose Kenner figure sets, to pick up modern and vintage prototypes, and to explore other aspects of Star Wars memorabilia. And other collectibles outside of Star Wars thrived as well, and with force. Trading cards, comics, and artifacts from decades past became white-hot, selling almost as quickly as they were obtained. The momentum of that time period seemed as though it would never end, as more and more people joined in, and the values of the items rose higher and higher. Once the restrictions from the pandemic lifted, toy shows reaped record numbers of visitors, as attendees desperate to get out of their homes and back to normal activities returned to venues and conventions. Last year's spring and summer saw record prices for Star Wars collectibles. But there was an undercurrent of diminishing interest in the collecting groups on social media. Some of the larger ticketed items went unsold for longer periods of time, and fatigue soon reached the toy shows of the late summer and fall. Instead of buying collectibles, people were spending on vacations, and on experiences that took them out of their homes and out of the mindset of the past few years. And to a large degree, collecting fatigue slowly set in among the Star Wars world. Economic factors have caused collectors to cut back on their previous spending habits. Frustrations with Hasbro and the company's Star Wars offerings led to a lessening interest in the newer toys. Many collectors who fell priced out at the peak of pandemic collecting have chosen to remain on the sidelines. 
Those who finished their runs over the past year are holding on to their money while they wait to see what catches their eye next. And just as it appears the road to collecting has been paved for the year to come and that the downturn will continue, sparks of hope swoop in like a squadron of X-Wing fighters. February's Morphe auction reignited the frenzy as 450 carded figures sold for shocking sums. The first toy shows of the year were very well attended and were breaking records of their own, although early reports from vendors showed signs that sales were still slow. But the spring is an entirely different story. It's way too early to get any concrete answers as to where the hobby is now. And being one of the first shows like the Spring Columbus Toy Show has its benefits. People haven't spent their tax returns yet. They're eager to get out after going through another winter, and the heart of the collector continues to pulse with anticipation for a toy show. But a show like Columbus has to also contend with the unknown. Will events like Star Wars Celebration London and even the Xenia Toy Show, both of which are happening this month, have an effect on attendance and spending at Columbus? Are people being more selective when it comes to deciding which shows to attend? And for those who shop the show, are they merely perusing the wares at each table without reaching for their wallets? These were questions to which I wanted answers, and I think you do as well. So I decided to contact a few of my friends who traveled to the Ohio Expo Center last weekend to hear about their experiences at the Columbus Toy Show. Today, we'll speak with four people I first met during my Ohio trips over the years. Vicki Bitter lives in the Cincinnati area and is an admin of the Bestman Prime Collecting Group on Facebook. She toured the show in search of vintage Star Wars collectibles and has an Ewoks focus. Clifton Boggs, a fellow Ahsoka-holic and Clone Wars obsessive, is the owner of the Canton, Ohio toy store Happy Pappy's Action Figure Extravaganza, and traditionally sets up at every Columbus show. Zach Curtis lives less than an hour from Columbus, and has one of the world's largest Superman collections. He has an online shop called That Vintage Toy Guy, and he also set up as a dealer at the Columbus show. And Sam Sams, another Ahsoka fan and vintage Star Wars collector, started a collector's club in his home state of West Virginia. He's not a dealer, but he and a fellow collector decided to get a table at this show to sell off a few items and experience the weekend together. Vicky, Clifton, Zach, and Sam are truly wonderful friends. They all share a similar heart, and their kindness is a true blessing to those around them. And I think their takes on the weekend will help to give you and I a fuller understanding of what this Columbus Toy Show was really like. So settle in somewhere cozy, pour yourself your favorite drink, and let's hear about the Spring Columbus Toy Show experience together in conversations with four very special collectors. So Clifton, what was your experience like for the Columbus show? Well, my experience, it started out, you know, I always get excited to go to Columbus Toy Show because there's so many people that you get to see. Um, there's so many good toys you get to find. 
Um, so right when I was getting ready for the show, I was totally excited to get there and to get set up and uh, to uh, get the ball rolling. In comparison with shows past, did it have the same vibe to it? No, the last few shows have been a, a little off, and I'm not really sure why. Um, I'm going to guess uh, it's just uh, you know a lot of people don't have money at this time, or it's really hard to find uh, vintage, and the prices are just go sky high right now. Some things are slowly coming down, but uh, it's it's still it's very tough to find a good deal or a, a price that you really want to pay for something. So maybe that was why it was uh, a little slower than normal. Okay. You, in addition to shopping the show, you also had set up as a vendor, correct? Yes. I, I set up, I've been setting up now for the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. And how was that for you? Um, for, you know, looking through the lens of a vendor. Um, it really wasn't bad for me at all. Um, I hit what I normally do at every show. So, uh, because I have a lot of people that, uh, sought me out just because I've been there for so long and, uh, they know that I try to bring really nice stuff to sell. So it, you know, as selling, I, I did really well, but attendance was way down that I, I that that's what I, uh, saw. Have you been to any shows before this for this year? I have. I've been to two, three shows this year. Okay. And did you see the same trends as far as the number of people attending or the prices or what people are buying? So um, I've seen the trend of prices are just sky high. I did two comic shows, which comics a whole different uh, – realm than toys because i was one of few with toys at one of those but uh when i did toy ohio in february it was the busiest toy ohio i've ever worked and most people did amazing at that show is there anything that you can point to to explain why maybe ohio was successful and why why this one um while well attended maybe maybe the, the 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 buying audience wasn't there um, I think there's so many shows, especially here in Ohio now, every every other weekend, at least every month, there, there's at least one show. Um, the, this month alone, there's three. Um, so I personally think uh, it might be into promotion, even though the show has been around for, it's the longest, well, one of the longest running toy shows in Ohio. Um it's been around for over 20 some years, but I, I feel uh, maybe a little bit more promotion, like right after you have the show instead of a month prior. But I, I'm not sure. It, it's a totally different collector's world right now. It's been for the last, what, three years? Yeah, and that's the reason why I wanted to do this episode because um, it, it's, it's, the Columbus Toy Show is my favorite show, and it's just the the market right now for collectibles and for you know especially Star Wars collectibles is so utterly strange that it's really hard to get a grasp on it. 
Um, so that's why, <laughs> you know, having a conversation with you to hear your perspective on this really helps. Um, was there anything that you picked up for yourself? So I only picked up one thing for myself and I picked it up from Stamp Sam. Uh, it was a modern piece. I picked up a, an Ahsoka a swimsuit or a, a scuba suit, uh, graded CAS 85. So that was the only thing that I picked up. I, I was also watching what I bought since I'm going to London in a few weeks. So, yeah, but I was excited on the uh, pickup. It's a great figure, and especially you know if you can get it graded already, that's fantastic. Um, did you did you see a lot of our friends at this show? Um, I saw I would say about half. I didn't see as many as I usually do, but then I saw newer friends that I would see at uh, say the IC or Celebration or or any Star Wars. Um, I saw newer people that I've never met. That, that actually came to check out the show. And that's always nice. That's one of the good things about a show like this is that people, um, a number of people come out that we don't know, you know, and, and you have just these large crowds and you get to make friends uh, in that sense. Um, was there, were there any larger trends that you noticed during the, the Columbus weekend? So I've noticed it all year. Um, and Columbus, I see so much toys that are on the toy shelves now that are double the price at a show. And I would say it takes up about 60 to 75% of every show. And uh, it really bums me out because that means it's over half of the show that I'm not checking out because I'm a vintage collector. Even I do collect modern, but it's only I'm pigeonholed to the Clone Wars for the most part. But you're talking about the the stuff that we see at Target and Walmart that is sort of that, that retro play or that vintage modern stuff that, that looks like the stuff like He-Man and Star Wars and everything else that we grew up with. Um, but it's just, it's more or less easily accessible at a department store or at a, a retail store. And yet people are bringing that to shows as inventory at, at a number of the shows you've attended. Yes. Yeah. And you know, it, just like you said, it's all the masters of the universe. It's the new retro star Wars, the retro GI Joe, the classifieds, the black series, anything that you could find on the shelves. That's what you're seeing a lot of at shows now. And, and years prior, you're not even seeing uh, the pops, like you saw so many pops, you still see them, but not, now this has taken over. It's like the new pop of a show, the modern store show. And that makes sense. And it's it's getting harder and harder for people to get vintage items. So they are basically substituting it with the stuff that they can get easily and for low prices at, the, at retail right now. Yes. Yep. They're buying it at retail and then selling it for double. And, you know. You could still go to the. You could leave the show and go to the store. Half of it might not be there, but you could still leave with some of it for the, the price that they paid. What was the Star Wars offering like at Columbus? So Star Wars is always pretty heavy, heavy um, throughout every show, but there was not a ton of vintage at all. Like there was vintage here or there, like the Lentils had some, uh, and. Uh, 
Warren had some, I had some. I would say without that, I would say maybe 40 tables might have had some vintage, but not a ton of vintage like there normally is. Okay, so you're talking about more or less a 10% of, of the entire place. Yes, like you you could go to a show and just, you know, find any figure that you wanted for the most part, but uh, I don't feel that you could at this show. But there's so many collectors now that it's, it's hard to say, you know, it's not walking into my store. Um, the last time a vintage Star Wars walked into my store was last year. And I think that's a fair assessment. I, I think we're seeing that at every show now where it's just it's getting harder and harder for people to find um, vintage Star Wars items, you know, to put up for sale. And I think a lot of people have sold their vintage Star Wars items because they were getting such good money for it during the pandemic. Yes, uh, and rightfully so, because there were the prices are even going more wild than ever, just like that uh, auction that was in Pennsylvania. You know, we watched figures go for sometimes double or triple of what they would normally go for. I have a feeling, though, that that's an anomaly for the year. And we'll I, see what happens with the um, the Hicks auction that's happening this week, uh, as well as, you know, some of the other upcoming auctions. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how the Hakes auction goes, uh, just because, you know, it always goes well. But a lot of people are also getting ready to go to London, you know, go to the celebration. So maybe they're not going to spend and want to spend over there. I don't, I don't know. Oh, that's a really good point, Clifton. I never thought of that, too. So there is a Star Wars Celebration coming up. We have a number of events and uh, and activities like ICCC and um, collectors meetups and everything You know that, that's, that'll be coming during the summer and, and the rest of the spring and into the fall. So um, people, I think, will be a little more um, selective about which shows they go to and what they, what they purchase. I think so. I, I, I have been. I've been watching what I've been spending shoot since last year, just because at some point it's got to come down, you know? And, uh, and I think we are seeing that to a degree. Yeah. Um, what was the coolest item that you saw at Columbus? Oh, the coolest item that I saw at Columbus. That's a tough one because I didn't take a lot of it in. Uh, because I was being good on buying, but um, sure, I I always like seeing what uh, the toy department brings because they bring so many good um, prototypes from vintage to modern. Um, so I'm gonna pick probably the the three LJN Indiana Jones pieces that they had, even though they had way better stuff than that. I the, I just love seeing that stuff. Very cool. Well, Clifton, I'm planning on joining you. Uh, at the Columbus Toy Show in the fall. Looking forward to it. Um, I'm sure it'll be just as interesting. And I, I don't think any of us have any clue where the, the second half of the year is going to go as far as collectibles and, uh, and interest in Star Wars. So it'll be exciting to take a look at it, uh, especially with you. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you in Columbus because it's been way too long. Um, and all we could hope for is we find all kinds of good things and it just uh, keeps uh, trickling for everybody and, and uh, we all do well. 
Okay, well, here's to Ahsoka, here's to our friendship, and here's to the next Columbus show. Thank you, David, and I will see you soon. So, Sam, how was the Columbus weekend for you? For me, it was uh, really nice. Uh, I took my wife and son with me. We stayed overnight. Um, so they kind of hung out in the hotel room and, and relaxed um, while I set the table up. And then they, they came and helped on Sunday afternoon. And uh, so it was a good time with the family. And then it was a good time to see some friends in the hobby. And, and I made a little bit of money. So it was a, it was a great weekend. Was this the first show that you had set up at as a vendor? Not in my life. Time. I mean, I, I've set up a, a few small ones here and there, but this was the first what I would call major show that I've set up at. Yeah. Okay. And you're not a vendor. So um, you, you were explaining to me, you know, you do this as a way to sell off some stuff that you have. Um, what kind of stuff did you bring? Yeah, most of my stuff. And that, that's exactly right. I'm not a dealer. I'm not a vendor. I do buy and sell stuff on Facebook groups like most of us do to help fund our, our hobby. But you know, I'll pick up a small collection and keep some pieces and sell some pieces. But I'm I'm in no no means a, a dealer by any stretch. But um, mainly, what I sold was inexpensive ten to twenty dollar items. I sold a lot of modern vintage collection figures that I had accumulated and, and didn't need. Um, a lot of uh, at which a lot of those were some of the newer ones, uh, some of the Ahsoka Tano vintage collection figures and some of the, the Obi-Wan TV show released figures and some of those. So uh, those all sold, sold real well. Did you see a specific price range of items that, that tended to sell better than others? Yeah, for sure. With, with, with the exception of one item that I sold, everything else was in that 10 to $20 range. We had some, I had, four or five graded uh, star vintage Star Wars figures that that I had priced in the 150 to 175 dollar range and to be honest with you Dave not not one person even asked how much they were you know I had the price written on the back of them so that it didn't cover up the the figure and I didn't not one person said oh what do you want for that you know on Hoth so I don't I don't think anyone was really looking for the, the higher end items it was all you know, 10 to $20 items from being there for the weekend. Did you get the sense that this was more, that was, this was happening more, uh, in general, you know, to, to multiple vendors where people were just not spending that kind of money on items. Yeah. My friend, Sean, that set up, he experienced the same thing. And I, I talked to a couple of the other vendors, uh, during the show, which that's kind of a sign right there. If you have time to talk to other vendors during the show, then, then you're not as busy as you'd want to be. But, um, you know, I, I just, I just think that people are looking for, for bargains right now. I think some of it, like on the star Wars end is that a lot of the people that entered the hobby during the lockdown has completed their runs and they're kind of in a transition period where they, they're not sure what they're going to collect next. Um, and then also with, you know, the economy taking a little bit of a downturn here and the prices had spiked so high that I think it's just kind of natural for there to be a little bit of drawback and a little bit of leveling out of prices and, and demand quite frankly, is, is, is down quite a bit, I think. So. 
And as you said, people are looking for bargains. Do you see amongst even your friends and people who are attending shows that they're not aiming for these high dollar items or, you know, these, these bigger pieces that maybe a year or two ago were ones that would have been snatched up at any toy show? Oh yeah, for sure. And I, I think I'm a perfect example of it. I mean, I'm, I'm a collector who, you know, over the past five years have gone to the Columbus show twice a year and probably spent around a thousand dollars each show. And instead of doing that this year, I was like, Hey, why don't I spend $85 on a table and, and try to make a few hundred dollars. So, you know, if you, if you just take me out of the equation, I was a probably a $2,000 swing as far as money that was in play at the show. So multiply that out by however many you want. And, and that there's, you know, I'm a, I'm a good example. I think of what's happening in the hobby as far as people kind of dialing it back and looking to save a little bit of money or make a little bit of money instead of spending it. Did you have an opportunity to talk to any of the people that were shopping the show to maybe hear where they were coming from, what they were interested in, why maybe they weren't spending or, or were picking up certain items over other ones? Yeah, there was, there was um, quite a bit of chatter through and, and, you know, you go to the shows and you kind of see the same people and some friends. And, you know, I did notice there were some people that weren't there that normally are there, but then there are also the folks that were there that, you know, I'm friendly with and, and recognize, you know, we might not know each other, but we know we see each other at the shows all the time here locally. Um, sure. and there, yeah. there was a lot of chatter of, you know, well, the Xenia shows next week. So I'm going to, uh, you know, most of the same dealers are there, so I'm going to kind of hang back and wait and see what's what's uh, you know the following Saturday at Xenia. So I think that definitely impacted the amount of money that was being spent in some way. But um, you know, I thought the attendance was pretty good, um, but but the buying I think was definitely down. Okay, and you were telling me that you had a a pretty interesting encounter with somebody at your table, which I thought was great. Could you share that? Oh yeah, sure. It was really cool. I, uh, one of the things I've been dabbling in as I'm in kind of a transition myself with my collection is is some of the tops trading cards and um, not not just the the seventy seven to, to eighty five cards with the original trilogy, but um, I'm an Ahsoka Tano fan, as you know, and so I like the Clone Wars cards. And Tops has a set of a set called the Living Set where they release two cards every week, and they're they. They look like photographs, but they're they're artist renderings. Um, but anyways, I, I had a couple of those cards in my case, and uh, a gentleman walked up to the table and he's like, "Oh, those are the Topps Living Set." I said, "Yeah, those are a couple cards that just were released." Well, it was a Luke Jedi figure, and he said, and he he went on to tell me that he's one of the two artists that um, that designed those cards. He didn't design the particular one that I had in my case, but he had done like the first two hundred and some cards in the set. And he lives here, uh, here locally, close to the Columbus area. And um, his name's Chris Penix. Um, Chris, if you're out there, hello. It's been nice talking with you the last couple of days. But uh, so we struck up a conversation, and we've chatted a little bit uh, uh, over uh, social media, and and that was a really that was really cool. It, it was nice to see that. And if you've seen these cards, they are amazing cards. Like I said, to me, they look like a photograph, but they're they're not. They're artist artist drawings. So. That was pretty cool. You sent me a picture of the Ahsoka one, and I just I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Um, she can be a tough character, you know, to nail the the, the likeness, and uh, I, th- I think he did a really good job on it. 
Yeah, and you know the the interesting thing about this set, this particular set of cards is they release two cards per week, and so they're for sale for just during the week, and you have to go to tops.com to order them. And so they only print however many gets ordered. So and then they release, hey, this is how many we printed. And generally, they're only making two to three thousand of of these cards uh, of each card. So they're 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 somewhat limited. Um, so in, in that particular Soka card that I sent you a picture of, it's it's pretty pricey. It's it probably goes now for between one hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars raw, and if it's graded, it goes for twice that. Oh wow! I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a it's a really nice and card and, and you know the 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 interesting thing about it is if you kind of missed the boat, it's hard to go back and, and and start collecting the set from scratch. But uh, which I hadn't planned on doing, but now that I kind of met met one of the artists, I'm more interested in going back and doing that. Was there anything that sold there that surprised you? For me, yes, I wasn't sure whether it would sell or not because I kind of couldn't believe what it was selling for on the Facebook groups, which is the only reason I took it. Um, if you're familiar with the um, Read 5 book that, that was just released recently, it was a Kickstarter book that was documenting the Kenner collection uh, from 77 to 85. It's an beautiful book uh it's i i would call it a coffee table book um they did a great job with it i think it took about two years for them to to put the book together and release it um but i had i had bought one of those two years ago and quite honestly kind of forgot about it and then i started seeing everybody posting pictures of theirs when they came in and so i I did get mine and i had seen on the facebook groups where they were selling for between 400 and 600 dollars and I just kind of thought to myself, that seemed a little, little excessive. I mean, it's a beautiful book, but I just thought, well, you know, it doesn't mean, it, you know, it's not worth that much to me. So if I could take that book and sell it and then purchase a couple of loose graded figures for my loose graded run, then I, I was willing to do that. I wasn't sure that it would go because I wasn't sure if, if the market was really what it was or whether there was just a couple of outliers, but I did take that book and put it in my case. And, um, two points about it. One is, it generated a lot of buzz there, you know, probably twice an hour. Somebody was like, Oh, there's that book. I didn't realize how big it was. And, and I was ha- more than happy to, to take it out of the case. And I, I let people show, I showed it to them and I showed them what a great book it is. And, and even if I knew they weren't you know interested in buying it, I, I was trying to help kind of, um, uh, create some buzz for the book. Cause I know they're going to do a volume two and some other ones, but, um, it was very well received, but anyways, towards the probably in the last half hour of the show, the gentleman came up and wanted to see it and and paid me my full asking price without even batting an eye. Um, so I was able to sell that book, and then uh, my buddy had two figures that I was interested in in his table, so I just handed him the money and and basically traded that book for a couple of uh, figures I needed for my run. I think that's a fantastic way to do a show. You know, you, you make a little money and then you you turn that into uh, into figures that you need for your own runs and your own collection. Yep, that's that's exactly how we do it. You spend a little, sell a little, buy more. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Sam, it was great talking to you today, and uh, I'm glad the show was a good one for you. Um, the the Star Wars world right now is a is a very strange one. I I, I think you'd agree, right? I would. I would. Yeah. I think, I don't think that, that anyone should panic or, or be worried. I think it'll be just fine. Um, you know, it's just one of those, 
down cycles and, and I think everything will be fine. And, and after all the peaks that, you know, we were due for a little bit of a, a rollback and, and, you know, as a, as a long-term collector, not investor, but a collector, as a long-term collector, I'm kind of happy to see the prices come down a little bit. Absolutely. It makes it a little more fun for all of us, right? Absolutely. Good. All right. Well, my friend, I hope to see you in the fall at the Columbus show. I'm really looking forward to it because I haven't been out there in a while and I, I truly miss it. Great. Looking forward to seeing you. We'll, we'll definitely uh, touch base for sure. I probably won't be set up. I'll be buying by then, hopefully. Okay. We'll walk around together then. Yeah, great. Awesome. All right. Looking forward to it, Sam. Thanks, Dave. We'll see you. So, Vicky, when you go to the Columbus Toy Show, what are you looking to to purchase? I guess my focus and the way that I shop has changed so much as the collection has grown because there's fewer and fewer pieces I need to add. I've kind of moved into upgrade mode. Um, this time around, I managed to upgrade my diecast uh, Star Destroyer for a really great price. And that's awesome because the Rebels had blown up the... Uh, uh, shield generator on my previous one. So that was, oh, okay. I kind of go looking to be inspired and really just to peruse all of the, um, booths. And I was not disappointed. No. What kind of stuff did you see this time? There was a good bit of star Wars and Columbus show is majority star Wars and pop culture. I would also say that, uh, James has done a good job of bringing in some talent. Uh, you had Jim Swearengen there as well as, Kim Simmons and a number of uh, talents were there as well. That's not really my forte, but it was nice to see them back in the corner and know that he's adding that kind of support. They also had like a whole uh, vintage video game section with everything on free play. So you can stop and play a video game on your way around. Toy-wise, it was mostly uh, what I would call pop culture era, 70s through late 80s. Of course, you always get the wall of pops in one or two places, but a lot of vendors I recognize and look forward to seeing. And I think they had good uh, content as far as I saw, lots of options and just stuff that unfortunately I've already added. I'm becoming one of those collectors. Hey, that's always a good thing. Um, I am living vicariously through you because um, I, I attend the show in the same way you do as as somebody who goes to to shop and to really explore every table and every uh, booth that's there. Um, what kind of Star Wars stuff did you see? Was it um, what was the breakdown as far as modern and vintage? I would say it was a good bit vintage. I tend to glaze over modern, but I guess there is more and more of it that pops up. I know the tables and the vendors that I'm looking for. I recognize their shelving units from afar, so I kind of hone in on the people that I'm used to visiting with. Honestly, as you know, it's as much a social and uh, what am I looking the word I'm looking for? It's much more a social experience for me as much as it is a shopping experience. Uh, I saw lots of familiar faces in the crowd, lots of good boxed items and mint on card, a good bit of loose and uh, oddities. Todd Chamberlain is always the one that can come to the table with something I may never have seen. I actually picked up in a wicket. Bradley watch from him and a roll of wicket wrapping paper from Andy Loney 
it was a good time around for me. I, we can't go into too much detail here with this, but um, I think Todd has a time machine. That's the only thing that I can I can explain <laughs> uh, the way he's able to to get these amazing pieces that he has. Um, but we, I guess we can't really talk too much about the, the actual machine itself, but, um, yeah, what kind of stuff did he have at his booth? Because, um, he's just somebody who has, I would say it's, it's less figures, right. And, and more of just the oddities and the ephemera that goes around the world of collecting from that time period. Yeah. And I don't know how he pulls it all out, but he has such an eclectic mix of notebooks and erasers and watches. He had a whole bin of Bradley watches. And when I was just about to the bottom of it and thought there was nothing there for me, because I already have two of the three, I pull out the one that I need and have been looking for forever. He even had like a huge strawberry shortcake display with the original shipper leaned up against the back of his booth that more than tempted me if I had a bigger house and more oh, money wow. to spend. It was it was an intense and very cool piece. He's got a bunch of strawberry shortcake shelf talkers. Like his eclectic mix of stuff is just unbelievable. I think he also sold four Spanish uh, Ewok books, like hardcover books that have the little tiny book in the middle with the artwork around. It was, he had, I I never am disappointed by Todd's booth. No, and I think this was the first time that he did the Columbus Toy Show, and I'm so glad he did because I feel like he brings, as you said, stuff that people are looking for and maybe don't even know exist, but once they see it, they have to buy it. Um, what was the the Bradley watch that you picked up for yourself? It's the animated Wicket face. So it's the analog style, but instead of having the two Ewoks from the typical Return of the Jedi design, it's got the full body Wicket with the spear in his hand in the animated design. Oh, that's fantastic. I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's I posted it up on Bestman Prime. If you get a chance, you'll have to have a look. Okay. If only you collected Ewoks and Wicket, then, you know, that would have been a good pickup for you, right? <laughs> I know my mouth dropped open. Oh, like, and, and then as a buyer, you're like, did he just see me react like that? Because now there's no wheeling and dealing to be had. <laughs> wow. Well, so how are prices overall on the Star Wars stuff? Not, not just in, in Todd's booth, but um, on, on, you know, all the tables that you had perused. Honestly, I would say it was either one extreme or the other, and that is something that I tend to see not out of the dealers I know, but out of smaller dealers that they either understand what they have and they're offering a reasonable price for it in current market, or they think that everything that says Star Wars is gold. I got some great deals. Um, I actually went to the booth where I purchased the Star Destroyer planning to haggle. I picked it up and turned around, and the guy said, all the Star Wars stuff is 25% off. Like, well, you just made that easy. <laughs> like, I was going to do some haggling, but at 25% <laughs> off, I feel like you're offering me a good price. Take my money. Okay, well, that, that's something that I actually heard, that there were a, a number of vendors, or at least a few vendors, that um, at some point during the show had dropped their prices um, by upwards of about 20 or 30%. Yeah, and uh, as a buyer, it worked out great for me. I felt like we got a couple of good deals and filled some spots in the collection. And I also love that you found something that you either didn't know existed and, and fit it really well into your focus, um, or that if you did know it existed, um, you hadn't seen it in person before. 
Yeah, that's correct. The second one. Uh, I knew it existed. I've only seen one on eBay previously. And I know my mouth dropped open when I flipped the little box around. I I think there may be more than one of those watches with the Wicked design. That piece, I don't know. I need to query George Julius and uh, Salvatore. <laughs> yeah, and maybe <laughs> hit check up, the archive. Or talk to Todd again and see if he has anything else. Yeah, true enough. <laughs> oh, but I love hearing those stories because... That's what the Columbus show has always been for me, where um, I've never come away from it uh, disappointed. And I, I've always come away from it getting something that either I hadn't seen before or something that I, I, I was looking to purchase. And, uh, and, you know, it just to me, it makes the show feel a little more magical when you come away with something like that. Agreed. And, and what I think the other thing that makes it magical is that it's always the first show of the season for me. And especially since the pandemic, there's a certain appreciation that comes in seeing those friends again, in walking through the crowd and saying, there's another one, there's another one, there's somebody else I need to say hi to, a face that's smiling. And that really makes the weekend for me. I think it's hard to explain to somebody who's not in this collecting world um, or maybe after the pandemic, it's not, but you're exactly right. And I've heard more and more people say that, and I, I've certainly felt that way, where you don't take any meetup or show for granted because, you know, we, there was a time where we didn't have any. Yeah. yeah and huh. it was a kind of life changing. Although I will say, I think it was a good thing for the collecting community because we had to find ways to reconnect with one another and now we seem to have enriched our connection ever since all of that pandemic stuff. We now come to places like Columbus and everyone is ready to say hi at the table and spend a little time learning more about one another instead of just shopping. Yeah, because we really went through a lot together during the pandemic and, uh, and now to be in person, you know, these, these, they essentially turn into meetups, which is really nice. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I looked forward to it. I was, Definitely had a great time. But I will say that several of the vendors mentioned that they felt like business was not as uh, fast as they've seen in previous years. And we actually arrived late. Uh, we're old and slept in. So it was about <laughs> 1040, I guess, when I got there. And when I asked about the early bird rush, they said there wasn't really one. And several people commented to me that they didn't sell anything until after 11. So I don't know what that says about the state of collecting. Is it just a fluke? It was a really cold, miserable weekend here in Cincinnati. And that is after we had several days of almost 70 degrees. So I can say that if I wasn't a diehard, I might not have come out in that weather. And that makes sense. And that's one of the things that I've always seen with the February and March shows. Um, the ones that, that tend to kick off the season are very special. And at the same time, uh, there is that chance that the, the weather um, or, you know, certain elements could affect overall attendance. Um, I know, I, I, I believe for the show, they usually get something like five or 6,000 people attending on that Sunday because it's a one-day show. And um, usually I think it's like 450 to 600 people show up, wrap around the building for uh, for the early bird. Um, so I'm a little surprised to hear that that they didn't have the early bird turnout like they normally do. Um, but at the same time too, maybe th this seems to be kind of a larger thing that's happening with toy shows where there might be a little bit of, of fatigue overall, or maybe people are choosing, um, you know, to go to one show over another. I, I don't know. 
it'll be interesting to see what the Great Ohio Toy Show looks like this coming weekend. That's usually a much larger show, a more varied show, but it'll be curious to see if they have good turnout. They attract a much broader audience, I think, than Columbus. That's not a negative or a positive, just a difference that I see. I wonder how it's going to turn out. Yeah, and it's I think it's it's so early in the year right now, you know, that toy show season has has officially begun over the last month. So it's it's really hard to to really capture any of the trends or to see where the collecting community and and the toy show uh attendance is going, but were there any any trends that you saw while you were shopping um that that stuck out to you? One thing that I noticed is it thinned out a whole lot sooner where I see most people at the Columbus show choose to sort of hang out all day in a celebration style environment. It was very crowded when we first got there. I felt like I was moving through people and around people to get up to tables, but I noticed that it thinned Uh, from a shopper's perspective. It was kind of nice because I could just walk through and look at what I wanted, but I know that's not what the show needs. And I definitely was paying attention to that. And I saw that at a show I went to recently as well, too. And I've been seeing that where, um, you know, the morning and the afternoon tend to attract uh, a, a healthier crowd and then it starts to die down a little earlier. So for a while during the pandemic, it wasn't happening. It seemed like, you know, the shows were, were packed from the time that they opened until the time that they closed. So, Yeah, I would agree. And this looked the same. Uh, I I saw no reason for that. The show in and of itself was a quality show, and I felt like there were good toys there, and I found good deals and saw oddities that I haven't seen in person, You know, things that I had never seen before from other lines and whatnot. I can't say that the content or the vendors wasn't as good as it always is. Yeah, and it's just it just seems to be kind of a strange time right now, um, you know, just overall, where a show today might be really well attended and the show tomorrow might not be, or um, certain items might be really hot at one show and might not sell at another one. Yeah, so um, is there a certain piece that you're hunting for this year that you are hoping to find at a show like the Columbus show in the fall? Wow. If it was Utopia, I would walk in and someone would have a queer on plush Nisa sitting on a shelf. But the chances of that happening are pretty slim. So if you want to throw the karma out there for me, a queer on Nisa needs to be added to the wicket I picked up at the end of last year. Okay. Well, I hope um, I hope your wicket friend is able to find her partner very soon. (laughs) If we can manifest it, maybe it will be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, Vicky, it was great talking to you, and I'm glad you had a great time at the show and were able to pick up some really cool items as well, too. It's always nice to hear from a, a fellow vintage Star Wars fan, and uh, especially when the show like that is a, a win for you. Thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy chatting with you. Yeah, I look forward to our next hangout, and I think it's going to happen sometime in uh, this year in Ohio. I hope so. You keep us posted. All right.
So Zach, the Columbus Toy Show is always a special one because that's where you and I first met, um, I think six years ago. Um, how was this show for you? Yeah, yeah. And it's it's always it's always a special show for me too, Dave. I um it's the first toy show that I that I ever set up at. Um it's always kind of been my home base show. Um so it's always one that I'm excited to do. Obviously the uh the number of, of dealers there's is is significant. It's it's right in my own backyard, just a couple uh couple hours away from my house. Um and it was another it was another good show. It was another good show for me, absolutely. Um maybe compared to years past, I, I always set three goals for every show. I, I set a, I set a mid goal. I set a crazy high goal and I set a lower goal. Um, and I will say, I don't think I've ever had a Columbus toy show where I have not met at least one of those goals. Um, some years it's that crazy high goal. Some years is right in the middle. Um, and this, this was a year that was a little bit on the lower side. I still met my lower goal. Um, but it was, it was, I was, I was pleased, but it, w- it wasn't my best show in the world. I'll say that much. What kind of stuff did you bring with you to sell? Yeah, so I always try to bring a variety of, of vintage. So I specialize in 1960s uh, to 1990s toys. I try to do very little newer than that. Uh, I don't do much older than that. And I do a lot of the action figure stuff. So heavy emphasis on Star Wars, He-Man, G.I. Joe, Ninja Turtles, Thundercats, those, those kind of uh, – classic action figure lines of the 70s and 80s. Okay, and what what type of stuff did you see was selling at this particular show? Yeah, so one thing I noticed at this show, um I sold I sold loose stuff and I sold cheaper stuff um in crazy high quantities. So the crowds this show to me felt pretty good. Um but people weren't buying the expensive stuff and people actually weren't even really looking at the expensive stuff as much as they have in years past. Um but for instance Every show, I, I kind of to give you to paint the picture of what my booth looks like. I normally have two or three tables up front, and those tables are lined with showcases and then bins and bins of loose figures. Some of those loose figures are complete with weapons and priced individually, um, and then others are just in dig bins where I'll have an entire bin of, of Kenner Star Wars figures uh, for five dollars a piece, an entire bin of He Man figures for four dollars a piece, etc., and so on. Um, then on the wall behind me, I'll have shelves kind of lining that back wall um, with all boxed toys and and toys that kind of bring you in, draw you in, the more expensive stuff, the stuff that kind of pops a little bit more. Um, and so normally it, it most shows uh, kind of the first thing that everybody's attention goes to is that back wall where I've got all that box stuff or those showcases, those glass showcases on the table that I have to lift the showcase and get out the, the carded figures and the, the rare figures and the graded stuff. Um, and then at the end of the show, when things kind of die down and people make their second and third lap, uh, that's when people come back and really start digging into the dig bins and and my sales kind of trail off with uh, with the loose figures. Well, at this show, I noticed more of a trend of, of people diving straight into those uh, loose figure bins um, and some of the cheaper items. So I sold um, I sold actually probably more than normal of those uh, loose figures and and um, cheaper type items and kind of the table stuff. Um, so my average sale was probably in the twenty to thirty dollar range. Um, where in years past it's been maybe closer to that seventy-five to hundred dollar range, um, so I think I probably have the same amount of sales. It's just people spending a little bit less uh, now at this show. 
Have you seen that before where people were ignoring the higher ticketed items or the ones that, that draw you into a table and were focused more on, on the, the cheaper ones and the, the bins? Absolutely. So it, it definitely goes in cycles. I will say normally for me, the fall shows are a little bit slower, but normally the spring shows are, are that's when people normally go for the higher ticket items because it's, it's tax return season. People have a little extra money. So to see that trend at a spring show uh, was a little unusual for me. Um, like I said, I've seen I've seen trends come and go. Um, normally, this kind of thing happens in the fall when people have uh, less of a budget or more burnout on um, expenditures. Um, but in the spring, people are more motivated for buying. Um, I will say that I think maybe one of the things that contributed to that, aside from just the general economy, is um, – that, that this show, it, it didn't seem to have as many out-of-towners. Um, a lot of times we get a lot of guys from across the country that come into the show and uh, that have a tendency to spend bigger money because they made the investment to make that travel. Um, I did not see as many of those guys, at, at least in my booth, um, this time, time around. But the other comment that I heard time and time again uh, from various customers was that um, – I, I would love to buy that, but I just can't afford that with the with prices the way they are now. Or to kind of frame that a different way, I would I would I used to have that. I sold it. I would love to buy it back. Um, but knowing what I sold it for just a couple years ago, and and how much that has increased in value in just these couple years, I don't have the heart to to pay that much for it now. So I, I think some of it was that that people couldn't afford it. But I think the other part of it was that people just couldn't swallow the new prices the way they are now. Um, I think during the pandemic, we saw the value of collectibles skyrocket up um, so, so high. Um, And now that there's a little bit less and softer demand, um, when those prices should be coming down, I think we're seeing a, a lot of people that at least online, that, that aren't lowering their prices. So maybe the online prices stay inflated. Uh, but when you, you try to make those sales locally, in person, whatever, um, those kind of people don't want to pay those those crazy prices because even though it might sell for that online, it's not uh, maybe not as easy to get the real-world sale out of it. And I think when people go to a toy show, they're expecting to get some sort of deal um, and I, I've seen at a number of toy shows over the last few years that um, a, a number of vendors have had prices at what's essentially the, the market value or what you'd find on eBay or you know in the Facebook groups. Um, did you, when you were doing shopping for yourself, you know beyond um, you know setting up at your table, um, was was there anything that caught your eye? Was there anything that you picked up during the Columbus weekend? Yeah, so I, I bought a couple things. Um, this is actually the first uh, the first time ever that I did not buy a piece for my own collection. Uh, I collect a lot of Superman items, um, and my collection is getting to where it's harder and harder to find things that I actually need because um, I'm just getting a larger collection, a more mature collection where uh, those those Holy Grail items aren't as easy to come by. Um, but I did buy several things uh, for resale. Things that I think I can flip and, and make a buck or two, and um, I've got a couple awesome vendors that I, I buy from pretty regularly, and I, I bought a lot of stuff from them, so their prices were solid. Um, but looking around at, at a lot of the other stuff, I did see a lot of prices where where prices were still high, and um, 
But like I mentioned, I think a lot of people are, are pricing at the height of those pandemic boom sales um, and, and maybe haven't adjusted to some of the prices that have, that have come back down. And uh, I always try to keep my prices as up to date as possible um, based on what the current sales are. But I mean, really, the prices have been fluctuating so fast with everything that's gone on in the last couple of years. That's hard to stay that on top of things. And I think, too, people are the, – the stuff that people are selling are maybe ones that they purchased within the last year or two as well when the prices were at peak prices. So they don't exactly. want to lose that. Yeah. And, um, I mean, to your point, I, I, that's, that's a great point because, I mean, as a dealer, I, I pay anywhere from 50 to 80% of retail um, when I'm buying something so then I can go to flip it. Well, if an item was worth a, 100 bucks in the – pandemic boom of sales i may have paid sixty dollars for that uh for that same toy well now that that one hundred dollar figure may now only be worth sixty five dollars well to pay for all my costs i I can't if i sell it at that sixty five dollars i'm i'm losing money with making only five dollars more than what i paid and the costs and everything else so with the values come down if you if you bought it back then and haven't sold it yet it's really hard to turn a profit and, and sometimes um, you almost have to sell it for a loss just to just to keep moving with it because of the way the market has turned. Right, and a lot of people maybe are choosing not to sell it for a loss, but to exactly. kind of let it sit and and stagnate for a while until the prices come back up again if they come back up. Exactly, exactly. Were there any other trends that you saw from this particular show this past weekend? Um, not necessarily. Um, the I'd say the one thing, and I've I've seen this trend for a while, particularly because I know your podcast focuses on on mostly Star Wars, but I have seen a, a trend again in the last five years. I think all of Star Wars prices have been sky high, and it's pushed a lot of Star Wars collectors out of the out of the market. Um, and and again, that's even pre pandemic. Uh, I feel like Star Wars was kind of the sign of what was coming for the rest of the toy world. But as Star Wars prices went went super high, it pushed collectors into um, lesser known toy lines uh, that that they could afford. Um, so when certain collectors got priced out of the market for the good Star Wars stuff, they maybe moved to to lesser known lines like uh, like a Centurions or Thundercats or uh, Sky Commanders, like like toy lines that you don't hear every day because they could afford to buy the the cherry and high end pieces and the hard to find pieces of of those different toy lines. Um, and I think we're seeing that again. And and one thing I noticed is that um, I think the same thing is happening. But but even those secondary toy lines. Because of the pandemic, even those are pricing some people out. So I was selling more more toy lines that I used to never sell, like like toy biz and and ninety stuff and and cheaper carded stuff, um, just because people could uh, afford to buy that. And so I, I was selling some different toy lines that I didn't used to sell because I, I think as some of the other ones, as people are priced out of the other ones, they continue to kind of trickle into these lesser known or maybe before lesser collected lines. And the focus and the spotlight on something like Star Wars, you know, can not only raise prices, but can also take away a little bit of the enjoyment and the fun of collecting because it becomes so competitive. Um, you know, to buy a piece, you wind up spending much more than, you know, if you think about it, a high end Star Wars item or say like a low end Star Wars item is equivalent to, in some cases, the rarest item in another line. 
Exactly. Like I had a, I had a, for instance, I had a, a boxed TIE fighter for sale. Um, and it was, it was a hundred percent complete. It was very nice shape. It had all the paperwork in the original box. I felt like I had a very fair price on it um, below eBay prices. And I, I'm telling you, not one person at the show even looked at that piece. Uh, and I think part of it too is it, it's a piece that like that's not a rare piece, right? Like that it's a very common piece. You see a lot of those. It's not hard to find a, a TIE right. fighter, but but even priced well below eBay, that's still a fairly expensive piece for a lot of collectors. And I think they would rather put that money into something you don't see every day or something that's hard to find or a, a when it comes down to it at a toy show, you're probably going to see 20 boxed TIE fighters. Um, and so to, to really be the one that sells is much harder than if you have a piece that maybe there's only three at the entire toy show. It's a little disappointing because I think there are really interesting moments when there is a, a frenzy about collecting and, and a genuine excitement about it, right? And then when you see an item like that, that maybe isn't as common, but is still desirable and it just kind of sits, um, especially at a toy show, it does make you wonder where the market really is for Star Wars and collectors and, and toys in general right now. Right, right. And I mean, collecting has always had this this weird balance between part of collecting is exclusivity so you so you want to be you want to be the only one that has something you want to get to it before somebody else like you want to be set apart and different because you want to you want to be unique like that that's part of what collecting is but on, on the flip side of things you want to have this bond with other people who've collected things and, and so you have the same collections and and so it's this weird balance of being the same but also trying to be a part and and i feel like a lot of times when you when you juggle those two it can get boring because everybody has the same stuff or it can get extremely competitive and people priced out of the market on, on trying to be the one with something unique and something different. And it's about finding that balance sort of in between where you have pieces that are unique and and yet relevant and then ones that you have that um, that others have as well and you have that common bond. Exactly, exactly. Is there a specific piece that you'd like to pick up for your own collection for this year? Oh, so like I mentioned, I'm a Superman collector. Um, so, so the biggest thing I'm into right now are original props and costumes. Um, so I would I would love to pick up. Uh, I, I'm really looking for for some high end Smallville collectibles, Smallville uh, costume pieces that was used in the television show, or anything from the original Superman the movie. Um, I would also love to own an original Dean Cain Superman suit from the. 90s Lois and Clark Adventures of Superman television show. Um, so those are some of the things uh, at the top of my list right now. And a Christopher Reeve suit would never hurt, right? Uh, you know, that's <laughs> at the top of my list for a lifetime. I'll, I'll get there one day, but uh, the budget is probably not allowing that day to be this year. <laughs> Understandable, but I know you will get there one day. Uh, Zach, thank you so much for uh, for taking time out today to to, uh, to talk to me about the show. It's it's always nice to hear it from your perspective, and um, I, uh, I hope to see you at the fall one. Awesome. Yes, of course. Thank you so much, Dave. So that was part one of our conversation with collectors about the Spring Columbus Toy Show. 
Stay tuned for part two, where we'll speak with another batch of collectors and vendors, and we'll hear about their experiences during the weekend. Is Star Wars Prototypes in Production your favorite podcast? If it is, or if you've really enjoyed any of the 124 episodes so far, including this one, please follow the podcast and share one episode with a friend. If you really want to help me to get the word out, please leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. I know that when I'm looking for a new podcast to listen to, I always read the reviews to get an idea of what others think about it. And you never know, your review might be the one that connects a future friend to Star Wars and collecting in ways you and I could never imagine. So three quick things to do to help me with the podcast. Subscribe and follow, leave a review, and share one episode with a friend. Thank you for joining me on another collecting adventure. We'll meet back here for part two on Star Wars, Prototypes, and Production.